This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the best of First Up for Tuesday the 8th of June, Kōkatrina Katrina Batanaho. We're having a bit of a revamp of where you can find this podcast if your link is broken. Look for it again in all the usual places, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Acast or on RNZ and search for the First Up podcast. In today's pod we hear from one of the New Zealanders honoured over Queen's birthday. We catch up with the Deputy Leader of the Opposition about cycling over Auckland's harbour, pay for our nurses and tax for big corporations, plus a massive plague of mice eating its way across rural New South Wales is now threatening towns and cities. But first, we'd all love to be off-grid. You could be motivated by thinking solar or wind is better for the environment, or maybe the most appealing thing is not having a power bill. Dream no more. You too can be off-grid, and so can your immediate neighbours and possibly your entire suburb, with your very own 500 kilowatt commercial wind turbine. But first, Trade Me's Logan Mudge tells producer Jeremy Parkinson about possibly the best or worst knitted jersey ever. I'm the first to admit that I can't sew a stitch to save my life, so I shouldn't be uh, throwing stones. But this uh, hand-knitted jumper, size three for kids apparently, um, has caught our attention. It's, um, I guess, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's a, someone's nana has gone to town with the colours. Uh, it is um, a real riot of colours, shall we say. Depicts a, I think it's a bunny or a fox on the front wheeling a toy and it's got a house and there's blue, there's red, there's green, there's everything in between. And as you say, it is raising money for charity for the Littleton Toy Library. So this seller found it in an op shop and decided it needed a, a new home and people are on board. The current bid is just over 110 bucks. closes on Wednesday and there's plenty of people having a look at this um, fabulous creation. Yeah, and a lot of effort's gone into any knitting. It's beyond me how people can Absolutely. do it. Can you even call yourself a nana if you can't knit? I think maybe. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So that, that's cool. That, that, that one's up on, the, uh, on, the, on Trade Me this week. Possibly the best hand knit ever, although you can make that judgment for yourself. The next auction, when I clicked on this link, I thought maybe a little bit of a wind turbine that you could stick on the corner of your house that might power the washing machine or television. But this is a super whopper of a wind turbine, one of those big ones you see up on the hills in the, in the Manawatu. It is massive. It has uh, three 16-metre long turbine blades, um, and it's, yeah, it's the real deal. It's got the whole turbine unit, everything else. Apparently, it's, yeah, it's a viewing by appointment only, and it's the blades are located in Glen Eden in Auckland. Yeah, I can't say I've ever seen a wind turbine on Trade Me before. It's um, certainly, it's certainly unusual and certainly different. And from what I understand, currently a bargain. It doesn't close till Sunday, but it's at 112 bucks at the moment. And, uh, yeah, if you're in need of some serious power or if you're running a power company somewhere that needs a little bit of extra boost, maybe this is just for you. I mean, really, it's to to be seen to be believed. I mean, it's a 500-kilowatt wind turbine. The the turbine itself, the mechanics and machinery is in Christchurch, so you have to deal with that, pick that up there. And the blades are in Auckland, so somewhere in between you can erect this and power 
not only your house but the neighbourhood <laughs> probably. <laughs> so yeah, that one that one's yep. up on Trade Me this week. So uh, at one hundred and twelve dollars, it has met its reserve. So you could get a hundred and thirteen dollar wind turbine. <laughs> the last two auctions today are for are for jerseys, the Crusaders jerseys supporting a, another community um, charity. Tell us about these ones. Yeah, the Crusaders um, have listed eight jerseys supporting, as they call it, their engine room. So the engine room being the uh, forwards of any good rugby team, and, the, and they're supporting the engine room of their rural rural region. So um, raising money for everyone who was affected by those massive floods uh, in Canterbury recently, and um, they're donating every dollar to that, and the forwards from the Crusaders are involved. So there's eight jerseys to um, get a hold of. You know, everyone from Luke Romano to Scott Barrett involved, and yeah, they've had them specially printed and specially stitched to sort of commemorate that. So if you're um, thinking about donating to a worthy cause, this is this is a pretty cool one, and you come away with a, a nice Crusaders jersey to top it off. That was Logan Mudge from Trade Me. Hinuehi Mohi has been made a Dame Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her services to Māori, music and television. She's one of the 170 recipients recognised in yesterday's Queen's Birthday Honours List. When Dame Hinuehi sang the New Zealand anthem in Te Reo Māori at the 1999 Rugby World Cup in Twickenham, it was the first time that it had been done at an international rugby match. This milestone started the now customary practice of singing our anthem them in both Te Reo Māori and English. Reporter Kate Gregan asked Dame Hinawehi how it feels to be recognised. It's a really wonderful honour and, and I feel overwhelmed and quite emotional about it. I really feel like this is recognition for the champions of Te Reo Māori, uh, Waia Te Reo Māori and all the things that I've been so fortunate to be a part of and have support from so many people to really bring the reo alive with um, Waiata Reo Māori and to be able to offer music therapy to people with disabilities or challenges in their life. So I feel fortunate to represent that broader Kopapa, that cause of helping people through music, and it's really such an honour. Thank you. Uh, let's just go back to 1999, the Rugby World Cup in Twickenham, and you sung the New Zealand national anthem in Māori, and this was the first time this had been done at an international rugby match. What was that moment like for you? It was an important moment in time, I think, because um, as New Zealanders, we were considering the priority of Te Reo Māori and all the lack of priority for Te Reo Māori. So it was, um, it took me a long time to understand what was happening with that and when the directive came from government to sing both languages, the national language in New Zealand, I think people's perspective started to change about how we embrace the culture And now when I look back on it, I think that um, we've come a long way as a country to embracing our heritage, language and culture. And when I apply um, that same understanding and um, love for the language to um, 
Maori music and, and the translation of artists' songs into Maori or the composition of new songs that in Maori, I see how thrilled artists are to be able to do that and how well received this music is to the audiences. And it's really about unifying the nation through music. I think after two decades, we've come through quite a, a point in uh, the maturity of our country to, to really be celebrating our nationhood this way. Dame Hinawehi Mohi. It's feared that the plague of mice, which is eating its way across rural New South Wales, could swarm the country's towns and cities next. Entire farms and homes have been overrun by billions of rodents in the country's worst mice plague for decades. Authorities are now trying to get approval to use a highly toxic poison to get the population under control, a controversial move that it's feared will kill native animals. Our producer Matthew Chenison found out about the skin-crawling infestation. Driving around the countryside you can come across patches of road where there's only a few mice rushing to and fro, like training for Tokyo, they're as fit as all get out. And then uh, you go another kilometre or two and you run into, um, you know, there's that much fur on the road that you can barely see the tar. I've had men and women say to me, you know, their own experience of every morning waking up and finding that there's mouse urine and droppings on their pillow, uh, being waken up in the night with mice in the bed. People that are contracting leptospirosis and a form of meningitis, you know, the hospitalisations we're seeing in various parts of the state, including patients being bitten in hospital bed. Even though our Premier and Deputy Premier don't want to seem to come and engage and have a look at the problem, the plague, the good news is they're not going to have to go very far because the plague's coming to them. Liverpool Plains farmer Xavier Martin says that in the past year they've put out over a billion baits on their property alone, all of which have been taken. The mouse population exploded due to a bumper crop in 2020, which followed several years of drought and devastating wildfires. While the harvest initially provided a much-needed reprieve for New South Wales farmers, it was a reprieve too for the region's wild house mice. Well, during daylight, you'd be lucky to see 100 mice for a lap. You know, it's about five kilometres. But, you know, once you turn your lights on in the dark, it's just thousands of mice rushing to and fro and on their way to Tokyo, as I said. We've suffered significant damage. You know, in hindsight, we've baited full farms five times since this time last year, mainly by aircraft. Uh, in hindsight, we should have gone harder after them because uh, we've suffered more damage than its cost us. And recently when we were harvesting mung beans, we had to stop harvesting at night because we didn't want mice going through the process of the harvester and bits of mice getting in with the mung beans. As well as destroying crops, the mice are damaging infrastructure and posing a major health risk. We've had machinery, houses, buildings, cars, you know, there's been fires. Just here in our house, they ate the drain hose off the dishwasher and flooded, flooded the kitchen. You know, it's just, you know, they die, they get out under the eaves and in the gutters and down into the rainwater tanks and die in the tanks. So you've got bacteria-ridden drinking water, um, you know, the disease spreading as mammalian, they're, they're dirty uh, little spreaders. 
Mr Martin, who's Vice President of the New South Wales Farmers Association, says farmers are making some progress in getting mice numbers down through the use of zinc phosphide, but they're unable to fund the type of widespread baiting operation needed to stop the plague. Uh, In trying to recover, uh, there's a point where you run out of the capacity to respond, and that's what we're seeing now, where farmers are abandoning the sowing of various paddocks. In fact, some have abandoned their whole farm for winter cropping and because uh, they just can't manage the risk. And we've been calling on government to have a, a rebate scheme where there's a 50% sharing of the cost of, of bait. The New South Wales government has committed to a $50 million mouse plague package, which includes an urgent approval to use a poison called bromodialone. Banned in several countries due to the risk it poses to other species, the region's agriculture minister, Adam Marshall, recently described it as like using napalm on the mice. Mr Martin says farmers are worried about spreading the toxic chemical and would prefer using the tried and tested zinc phosphide. Yes, it's a pretty chronic situation and uh, whilst we welcome the government acknowledging it's a natural disaster and putting $50 million on the table to respond, uh, that $50 million hasn't translated into one dead mouse yet. (laughs) It's just an impractical and dysfunctional response, unfortunately. As the size of the mouse plague continues to grow, there are real concerns it could soon spread to larger towns and cities, including in Queensland and Victoria. We're starting to hear about cities of, you know, 50 to 100,000 or more, and our members are reporting quite close to Sydney now where they produce horticultural Goods, um, you know, so some of them are reporting uh, not just their packing sheds, but out in the orchards and, and the fields, the uh, obvious increase in mice and rats. So uh, even though our Premier and Deputy Premier don't want to seem to come and engage and have a look at the problem, the plague, the good news is they're not going to have to go very far because the plague's coming to them. In a recent Farmers Association plague impact survey, 93% of respondents reported being concerned that the plague has led to unsafe accommodation, while 97% said it was impacting their stress levels. 85% of the 2,000 or so respondents reported having disturbed sleep because of the mice. Gone are the days where you sort of apologise to each other when they come into a room that you know the smell of mice um, you know in fact it's more more to comment if there's a room that doesn't smell of dead mice so look uh, you know you can say it affects morale i've had men and women say you know they go to their cupboard to get clean clothes and you know there's holes all eaten through them and mouse urine and and mouse dirt droppings all over them and um, yeah you know People are certainly are affected by it, and uh, I think that's something that our government just doesn't quite get the effect of this natural disaster. Liverpool Plains farmer Xavier Martin ending that report from Matthew Tunison. Every week, our host Nathan Araridi chats with the deputy leader of the National Party, Shane Retti. Today, they spoke about cycling over Auckland's harbour, tax for big corporates, and Nathan began by asking if National would commit to meeting our nurses' demands for better work conditions should National come to power next election. What we'll commit to is backing nurses. They have helped us through the coronavirus outbreak and they're really key agents here now for the coronavirus vaccine uh, rollout. So we'll certainly back nurses. We don't know what's under the hood, so we sort of can't commit to numbers. But what I can tell you is, 
is, if I had a choice of $486 million and thousands of bureaucrats in a health restructuring or removing the pay freeze and valuing nurses, I'm darn sure I know what I'd do, Nathan, and I think that's probably what New Zealanders would do as well. Yeah, so so that's that's what you mean by you'll you'll back the nurses. We back the nurses. We back. It's a critical time for our our economic our future and for what what our social future looks like to get New Zealanders vaccinated. And here we are putting a three year pay freeze on them. Uh, what's likely? I mean, one of the other risks, of course, is that our very highly skilled workforce will leave. They'll go to Australia where there's not a pay freeze, where there's higher wages, uh, where they've just announced a a pro-growth budget. And we should have huge concerns that this will drive our health workforce offshore. The finance ministers from the G7 countries met over the weekend. And one of the big items there that they had on the agenda was new tax rules for multinational companies. So does national support the idea of a global minimum corporate tax rate as as, has been proposed by the USA? Yes, it does. We're supportive of that. Uh, we think it's good progress. So a, a 15% global uh, tax rate. There's a lot of details still to happen. It turns out that you can, you know, you're, you're allowed to generate a 10% margin, and then there's something after that uh, around a 20% dispersal of funds uh, through other t- tax environments. That's sort of kind of complicated. So a lot of details still to come out. But yes, we're supportive of this in principle. Of course, the next steps are so G7 have signed it off, G20 to sign it off. And I was speaking with our finance person, Andrew Bailey, a few hours ago, asking where our sign-off would be. And he was explaining to me that New Zealand's sign-off to this, uh, if everyone was in agreement that it was a good thing, would be through the OECD sign-off. So G7, G20, and then we're part of the OECD sign-off. So, yes, supportive of this. It's going to be interesting, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, those corporations, a lot of money there. I'm sure there'll be a pushback from them. Yeah, kind of interesting. It's been welcomed by some. So it, it hasn't been, a, oh, this is bad news for us across the board at all. And uh, there does need to be some calibration as to what the uh, revenue return might be from this. It may not be uh, the windfall that some are expecting, but is actually the principle to fight for as well. Mm. The principle of if you derive income from a country and you've consumed uh, resources from that country and generating that income, then you should legitimately uh, pay tax on that income. So that principle is a good principle. What it actually ends up with in dollar terms is, is still to be found out. Yeah. Hey, um, um, you know, long weekend's great for holidays, but unfortunately road tolls tend to climb into things. There was a really big drink driving blitz over the long weekend. There were a lot of people testing, you know, breath testing positive in Wellington, also in Hamilton, I think. There was someone there who was caught drunk driving twice in one night. What accounts for this? Like, why do we keep doing this when the numbers are in front of us that our family members and ourselves and people who don't know will die? Just so disappointing, isn't it? And it's a really good question you've asked. What more can and should we be doing? Very, very disappointing with all the actions we've taken, all the messages we've put out there uh, that we still get a large number of people testing positive. Uh, look, I, I'm uncertain. I don't have an answer in my hands here tonight. I think we need to continue to look overseas for those jurisdictions who may be doing better than we do and continuing to plug away at that behavioural message around drink driving. But I'd have to say this Queen's birthday has been disappointing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you get drunk cyclists. What about that? We're going to have the... <laughs> cycling, cycling is a hot button right right now. Uh, Shane and I would the, you know, Judith Collins saying if we built another bridge across the Waitemata, that'd be, a, that'd be a kick in the teeth. I know the cyclists were very mad going, but we're trying to help the planet. Um, 
the the anti-cyclist sentiment is is that sort of a um, an area that political parties should be looking to tap into? Do you think there's a lot of people that with that sentiment? Look, I think rather than anti-cyclist, we should look at pro-integrated transport. That's a better way to look at it. And and on this particular issue, and of course it's it's come to light because of the upgrade announcement on Friday that talked about uh, a second crossing being a cycle and walk crossing across the Auckland Harbour. I think what we'd be more keen on would be, yes, a second crossing but one that also takes into account freight uh, and vehicles, uh, as well as uh, the ability for bikes and the public to make their way across the second crossing. And something that's future-proof for the next 30 years, that's what we're more supportive of. And so it certainly wouldn't frame it in our hands in terms of anti-cycling, more just pro-future, pro-integrated freight is how we'd like to frame what a future second crossing should look like. Yeah, I had a look through the honours. I was looking for Sir Shane Retty. I couldn't see him in there so far. Um, <laughs> but the Queen's birthday honours came out. A lot of people doing, you know, fantastic work. Was it? Tell me someone who you believe should have received an honour but didn't, or is there someone you're thinking, come on, we've, we've got to honour this person? <laughs> I was privileged in 2006 to be a recipient, so I'm, I'm very grateful and privileged uh, to have I've gone through that process. Yes, look, many, many uh, unspoken heroes, but you know, if I was thinking, if, if I had some influence to get someone on the list to go through the triage process, I would probably be looking at someone like Professor Des Gorman. I think, for his uh, critique, his bravery and courage to scientifically critique New Zealand's coronavirus response, to then put up ideas, to collaborate them, and, and overall to make a contribution that I think gets us in the position we are today and that could help us to be even better in the future. So if I was going to put someone on a list for a Queen's recognition, uh, then I would probably put Professor Des Gorman on that list. Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Dr Shane Retty. Thanks for listening to The Best of First Up. Matewa.